Good morning, all. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders with a snoring dog in the background that I'm hoping nobody's going to be able to hear. If so, I apologize in advance. I have not been able to replace my microphone yet, so if the sound's a little wonky on this one, I apologize. I will be picking one up at payday next week. But uh, in the meantime, I want to keep going with the podcast. I don't want to miss one. I've got a pretty good streak going, so here we go. Now, one of the things I'm going to start doing moving ahead, and I've had a lot of people now that I realize listen to the podcast and don't necessarily watch the videos or go to the website, which is great. It means it's found its own audience, which is exactly what I was hoping for. I was trying to catch you know a different group of people. However, I've been very reluctant to do just straight care sheets or care guides because I just figure for somebody that's listening to the podcast, if I go on for a half hour about one species that they have no interest in, it's kind of a wasted podcast. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, great. And I may be wrong there, but I want to bring more to the table when I do the podcast. I want to make sure that even if somebody doesn't have the species, maybe there's another species they might like to hear about. So I've been reluctant to do the care guides. However, I think what I'm going to start doing moving ahead for some of these is we're going to start going alphabetically through the species that I have kept in my collection and start doing care guides for them and kind of grouping some of them together. So instead of just doing one species of a fauna pelma today, I will be doing all the species of a fauna pelma that I've kept with some of the differences in care that I've noticed. And then moving ahead, we'll just go alphabetically covering several species. So for example, if I do Keelobrachi species, I can probably do a bunch at the same time. So it's just kind of a, a genus review. But if I were to do, say, Chromatopelma, I might want to stick another couple of C species in there. So people will eventually be able to go through my back catalog of podcasts, look for the letter of the species they're looking for, and see if I have any care information on it. Hopefully that'll be a good way to kind of do some of these care guides, but make them a little more comprehensive, add a little more material in there for people that just don't want to hear me talk about one species for the entire time. So I'm kind of excited about this because it'll be a lot easier. I've been long been trying to do write-ups of every species I've kept and had success with from my website, and I've got a bunch of them done, but it's just taking so much time. This might be a cooler way to get a lot of these done and give people that resource that want to know some of my tips and tricks for keeping these guys. And again, I don't find... I want to make this very clear because somebody came at me with a one of my YouTube videos. And again, not a big deal. It didn't hurt my feelings or anything, but it was just – I found it funny that they're like, you're trying to overcomplicate the whole hobby. And honestly, all I ever try to do with the Tom's Big Spider stuff is make the hobby less complicated for people to explain that I know there's a lot of people out there that try to make it like you need some type of doctorate degree to successfully keep spiders. You need 25 years experience to be able to keep certain species. And that's great for some people, but I don't think that's really true. I think a lot of people pick up a lot of the fundamentals very quickly. And then it's just a matter of building, you know, your experience level at 25 years. Obviously I'm not going to mess. So there are people out there that have a heck of a lot more experience than I do, and I give these people all the credit in the world. I look up to them. However, I think sometimes we just come up with arbitrary years that people, like amounts of time people have to be in the hobby before they should touch something, and that's that's ridiculous. I've, I've talked to several keepers that jumped right in with some old worlds. They were ready for them. They did well. I've talked to other keepers that have been in the hobby for 10 years and say, I'm still not ready for old worlds. It depends on the individual. So my goal with the Thomas Big Spire stuff is to try to give people good, solid information that's out there and try to demystify and make this hobby less complicated than people try to make it. So a lot of my care stuff, it was funny because I was doing care guides a while back and I realized the majority of the care for slings is exactly the same. We try to overcomplicate it. We People want to hear specifically about the species they get. So if I get a brachypelma 
albopelosum. I want to know the precise husbandry for that. And unfortunately, what it ends up being is it's pretty much the husbandry for a sling for a bee albopelosum is going to be very similar to a bee smithy is it's a lot less complicated than we make it. So that's one of the things I'm going to try to do with these. So unfortunately, I what's going to become very clear is many much of the care for some of these species is very similar. What I will talk about, some of the differences is in temperament and when it counts in like the hairs, the potency of hairs. Some of the little things I've noticed that some of these species start off, you know, you keep them the same, but as they mature, they have different likes and different requirements, slightly different likes and requirements. So we will try to break that down. So we're going to start off with a fauna pelma, which is... Is a genus that I basically avoided for a while because uh, you, a lot of us get into the hobby, we're into the beginner species, and then we're like, oh, no, beginner species are boring now. I need some of these, you know, hot uh, old world species, some baboons, some Pizzolatheria, and we kind of shun these beginner species. Now, as far as Fauna Pelma, I also shun them because many of them can be found in the United States. I'm obviously in the U.S. And for me, it was like, all right, why would I want to buy a spider that technically I just go drive and find? I want these exotic ones. And that was a mistake. And I've talked to other people who have done the same thing, either avoiding the Afana Pelma because they're local or just avoiding the quote-unquote beginner species because they are boring. But I've gone back and started picking up a lot of the beginner species. I've got a growing Brocky Pelma collection, and I now have a pretty good Afana Pelma collection. So the Afana Pelmas that I currently keep, I have a Calcotas that was originally labeled as a Afana Pelma Schmitty, I believe it was. Uh, one of the, it was basically considered to be its own species for a little while, but when they did the redid the revision on Afana Pelma species, it was rolled back into being just a color form or a, a regional variant of Calcotas. So that's now a Calcotas. I have a baby Calcotas, a sling. I can't believe I said baby. I never say that for spiders. A spiderling Calcotas that's about a half an inch long. I also have a subadult female Asimani. I have a couple Moderatum slings. I have a couple Bicoloratum slings. I have three Hensi slings. I have one annexed uh, young adult. I'm hoping female. We'll see after this molt. I've been waiting for this one to molt. Can't wait. And that's what I currently have for the Afana Pelma species. So those will be the ones I'll be addressing as I go through these. Uh, one thing right off the bat, and this cost me an Afana Pelma annex back in the day. I got one as a freebie, and a lot of the stuff I read online is that Afana Pelmas need it dry. They like it dry. They come from dry, arid regions of you know, Arizona and Texas. Well, that's not true. A lot of these species will burrow, and they find moisture under the ground, and I made a terrible mistake, and I've alluded to this before, that I read that they need to be kept dry, so I had a poor little uh, Afana Pelma annex sling that I got as a freebie. I was really excited about it. I actually picked up just enough so that I could get this one as a freebie. And it, I left it in some substrate that wasn't particularly moist. I didn't keep it moist, and it just sat there. And it never ate, and never ate, never ate. I, you know, moistened a little corner of it, still wouldn't eat, didn't burrow, and finally it ended up dying. And I was devastated. I'm like, what did I do wrong? So I picked up another one, did the same thing, ordered again so I could get another freebie. Got this next one, same thing was happening. And what ended, what I ended up doing was taking a little hole of an eyedropper, making a little you know, tunnel down the side between the plastic, it was in a vial, and the substrate, and I squirted some water down to the lower level. So it had a little pre-started burrow, and the lower levels were basically nice and moist. I left it, came back the next day, it had burrowed all the way down to the bottom, it created quite an extensive burrow, I mean it went all the way down the substrate and then like around the bottom of the thing, so it had done a lot of digging that night, and looked a lot more comfortable. 
So it hadn't eaten for me yet. I said, what the heck, I'll try feeding it. And I dropped in a roach. It immediately grabbed up the roach and ate. So that was the trick. So I had been keeping it wrong. I had read that they needed to be kept mostly dry. I was just moistening down a slight corner. And that wasn't the case. I have found that all of these right now, the Simani Islings, Moderatum, Bicoloratum, Enix, Hensi, and Calcotas, all burrowed as slings. That right across the board, they start off as really teeny tiny slings. And they will do quite a bit of burrowing. When they're in pre-molt, they will usually cover up the top of the burrow. And they will burrow toward moisture. So if you start them in a vial, I started all mine in vials, and then do what I said, basically make a little hole down the side, add some water to the bottom, that will usually encourage them to start their burrows. It will burrow down to that moisture. So please be aware, anybody that's getting these guys, that when you read stuff out there that say they can be kept dry, they can as adults. They do know, they do very well dry as adults, most of them. Although I have found that the Calcotas, some of them will appreciate a wet corner, and some of the Simani actually really like the moist substrate. A lot of them like it, some of them don't. You got to see where your spider is. And basically the trick to doing it, give them some moist substrate, see if they burrow toward it or hover around that spot. If they do, they like it. If they don't, they probably don't care either way. Just give them a water dish so they can drink out of it. But be prepared with the Afonapelma species. The slings do start off super tiny, usually when they're sold on the market when you see them for sale you're talking quarter inch slings sometimes please recognize a quarter inch sling is very very small i think a lot of us picture a quarter inch being bigger than it is when you actually see it it's a tiny tiny spider it's tough to spot so i usually find with these guys starting them in a small dram vial works very very well you can also use one of those two what is it 2.2 ounce souffle cups but i really like the dram vials because it gives them a bit of depth but not a lot of surface area. So when they dig, it's easier to see exactly where they have dug down. I can keep a really good eye on them. When you moisten the substrate, it makes it easier to see where you're putting the moisture in that you're not flooding the burrow because that's a, pro- a problem with them sometimes. But the vials work very well for me. But something smaller because you got to keep in mind, if you're getting an eighth-inch sling or a quarter-inch sling, you are talking about a spider that for many people is going to be very difficult to spot amongst substrate, especially if you're using something like cocoa fiber where the gran- granules are a little bit bigger. They're very difficult to spot. So I start mine in vials, the little teeny tiny ones in vials. Two ounce deli or two point two ounce deli cup would probably work just as well, although it gives a lot more floor space, makes it a little more difficult to spot them. I found at this size they will scavenge feed, so I will usually kill them, uh, kill crickets or mealworms. Cut up sections of mealworms work great. Just keep in mind that if you have a quarter inch sling and you put like a quarter inch section of mealworm in there, there's a very good possibility that your sling is going to feed, fill up immediately, and not eat again. I just had somebody message me freaking out because they fed their Afonapelma calcotis sling a large cricket. Didn't look like it ate too much of it, but immediately buried itself. And he's like, it hasn't eaten in two weeks. Well, that one's probably in pre-molt now. They can. And fill, you know, fill their humps, for lack of a better term, off of a large prey item. So that's something to keep in mind. Now, they will burrow. They're usually pretty good about coming up and surfacing. So I haven't had too much difficulty with these because some species of spiders I have found that if you give them too much room to burrow, they actually stay burrowed and won't come up for food. So something to keep in mind. These guys, I haven't had any issues with that. Right now, I was checking my all mine out before I started this podcast. I went in with a flashlight. And you can see all of them. They have a nice little burrow at the bottom, a little tunnel leading up to the surface and they're all currently doing great so I can also keep an eye on them which is the important part you want to be able with spiders this small you want to make sure that you can identify where they are at all times especially because you're going to want to make sure you keep part of the substrate moist and I found with the Afonapelma species the trick to doing that is to make sure the bottom stays moist the top can dry out it's not about spraying the top off that really and that's where I went wrong with the first annex I had where I was just kind of keeping the surface moist or part of the surface moist 
That's not what you want to do. You want to make sure that that water trickles down through the bottom, moistens up those bottom layers, and keeps that moist. That will keep them basically at the, the moisture level that they need. It'll keep them from drying out because I have a funny feeling that might have been what happened to my hands. And I'm still kicking myself for it. And keep them healthy. So one thing that needs to be mentioned about the Afana Pelma species, because I've had a couple people message me after getting theirs and they're like, I just bought a sling for a Fauna Pelma by Coloradum. How long before I have a beautiful adult? And the answer to that question is you, you've got some time. Um, these guys are one of the slower growing uh, genera of tarantulas that I keep. I've and I and one of the things that needs to be mentioned. I keep my tarantula room. It's usually about mid seventies or so most of the year. It gets to be high seventies, eighty in the summer. So if you keep your temperatures warmer, you will probably get faster growth rate. But even then, these guys tend to be painfully slow growers. And I just want people to know this. This isn't a deterrent as far as I'm concerned. Because the good news is you'll have plenty of time to grow with them. If even if you get a male, it's going to take a long time for it to hook out or start showing that it's a it's an adult male so i think people shouldn't be turned off by this but they need to be aware of it because it is going to be a bit of a waiting game now for example i have my original afana pelma calcotis that i bought as the schmitty that was it superstition superstition mountain superstition mountain tarantula i think it was and funny story we billy and i actually bought a cheesy found footage horror movie that featured the superstition mountains because i wanted to see if there were any of this species in it. It was terrible and not worth the money. But anyway, I picked up my girl about five and a half years ago as a two and a half inch sexed juvenile. And she was not a particularly good eater. She did a lot of burrowing at that size and hid most of the time. I had to pre-kill some prey for her because she was a little bit shy. Anyway, right now she just molted again and she's pushing a whopping about three inches. So that's in that amount of time, five years, she's gone from about two and a half inches to three inches, and I'm not joking. She has been an incredibly slow grower. Part of the issue is people have noticed the Afonopelma cocotis, especially, and especially wild-caught ones. I don't know about, and unfortunately, a lot of the species that were sold several years back where people are just plucking them out of the wild, which I'm not okay with now. I didn't Back then, I, it didn't even occur to me. It was just like, oh, I want one of these. I'm going to pick it up, uh, but I do have captive bread sling now. But it seems like the ones that, uh, the older specimens that were sold in pet stores and whatnot, well, a lot of them were wild caught and they do have a cycle where they will take the winter off. So I talk about my Calcotis. She will essentially stop eating around October every year. It's like clockwork, late October, early November. She stops eating. She buries herself and I don't see her again until April. This year she came out earlier than she ever has. She came out in early March tossed a molt out. She had apparently molted over the winter, but she had also gone under earlier. She, I believe it was right about the, maybe September, end of September. She buried herself, came back March, new set of skin, picked up a little size, but again, very slow growing. She eats well when she eats, but then she takes a lot of time off. So that's something to keep in mind with the Calcotas. I also have Hensi. I have three Hensi slings. I got those about two years ago. They've gone from about and maybe a quarter of an inch to about a half an inch now in that amount of time. So again, very slow growing. They've been eating well. Again, they all burrowed right down to the bottom. 
I basically will kill pre-kill. Now they're large enough that I can drop in the really small pinhead red runner roaches and they'll take those down no problem. But again, very slow growing. The other ones that I just picked up about a year ago were the moderatum and the bicoloratum. Those again are growing very, very slowly as well. Picked those up. They were about, they were really teeny tiny. They might have been yeah, right around a quarter of an inch or so. And both of them, uh, three of them have just molted. One of them hasn't molted yet. And they're pushing maybe a half an inch or so. So again, need to recognize if you get into a Fonapelma, they are gorgeous when they grow up. They're absolutely gorgeous spiders. Many of them are quite docile. But you need to keep in mind that the growth rate is going to be fairly low for most of us unless you're using, you know, if you've got a transfer room where the heat's around 80 or so, I'm sure you'll probably get faster growth rate. But for people that keep them at room temperature or even just slightly heated like I do, then you've got a long ways to wait before they are actually, you know, sporting those adult colors. So keeping that in mind when you buy the slings, it's going to be quite a while before you have to do your first rehousing. So don't panic when you pick up a sling. It's going to be in that container for quite some time. As your collection continues to grow, they will probably remain in those containers for quite some time. But once they hit the juvenile size, you're going to be looking for something that's a couple quarts. I think the medium or small small critter keepers work rather well for specimens that are over two inches. And I say over two inches or so, inch and three quarters to two inches because those vent ventilation slats they have in them, are big enough to allow escape from a smaller sling. Unfortunately, I just had a, a guy contact me. He picked up a small Mbalfori sling, less than an inch, put it in a critter keeper, and it is no longer there because it escaped. And, and this has happened to a lot of us. I caught one years ago. I had put it in a critter keeper. The sling was about an inch long. I caught it halfway out, and luckily I caught it before she got all the way out and escaped, and I lost her. But it can happen to the best of us. So around... The inch and three quarters, two inch mark, that's when you can look to move them into something else. Again, you're going to want to give them some substrate to dig in. They will, most of them, continue to dig at that size. So a few inches of dirt, you know, at least two or three inches of dirt is appropriate. Keeping, once again, the bottom layers moist for the time being, this encourages that burrowing behavior and allows them to dig to the moisture level that they need. And giving them the start, the cork bark, I, I hear a lot of people that... They go to house their spider, they hear that they're obligate burrowers, that they'll probably burrow so they don't bother putting cork bark in. And all that generally leads to is a stressed spider because they have no place to hide. You want to give them that burrow, give them the starter burrow underneath it. I sometimes create the entire burrow right down to the moist layers and they will usually retreat to that. They will find that moisture down there and start their burrowing. So it's a good way to kind of set them up and encourage that behavior. And then at this age, obviously a water dish, there's been a whole, like covered last time, the whole debate over water dishes. I include water dishes with everything. If you've already got a system, I'm not going to argue the point, but I always encourage putting a water dish in because spiders will drink. And I figure if they will drink, we want to give them that opportunity. I don't care if they come from the most arid place on earth. If I catch that species drinking, obviously it's looking for water. Obviously it was thirsty. I'm going to present that to them. But that's my take on it. Again, see my previous podcast for the whole thing. But water dish, hide, starter burrow, couple inches of substrate, moist on the bottom, you're good to go. These are very, very hardy spiders, and that needs to be mentioned. They come from places, you know, several of the species come from places in the U.S. where they can have extreme temperatures. I know somebody that lives in Arizona by the Superstition Mountains said that it can get easily into freezing range up there. So what they would probably do in the wild is burrow down below the frost line so that they're safe. But keep in mind, they can take a lot. So they do not need extra heat for these guys. 
Again, we talked about earlier, you may get slightly faster growth, but it's not necessary. They wouldn't necessarily experience extra heat in the wild unless they came out to hunt. Most of them will hide in their burrows. They're going to maintain right around, I think, the 65, 70 degree mark. They're not going to be out in the sunshine getting baked when it's 100 degrees. So that's something to keep in mind. So your room temperature is in the 60s. That's perfectly fine. They're going to continue to eat. They're going to continue to grow. They're not going to be in any danger. You don't need a heat mat. Definitely don't need a heat mat with these guys. And they're going to do just fine. So that's why I think one of the things that also makes them a good beginner spider is the fact that they are so hardy and can tolerate a lot of different conditions. So now that we've had our juveniles, they're in these containers. Again, it's going to be quite a while before you need to rehouse them. Once some of these spiders hit around the three and a half inch, three, three and a half inch mark around there, you might see them out more. They start to abandon their burrows. I know my Afana Pelma Annex, once it hit about three inches or so, just completely abandoned its burrow. It's now out in the open all the time. I talked to many folks that have Calcotas that are out in the open. My girl, now that she's come out of her burrow for the winter and has molted, she's visible much more. She will retreat to her burrow, but it's not the same as before where she would basically hide in the burrow the whole time. She's usually out and about. So these are guys that you will catch out in the open more. I know a lot of folks keep them as terrestrials. Don't give them burrowing room once they hit a certain size. I guess it's up to the keeper. Personally, if I have a spider that's going to burrow or wants to burrow, I'm going to allow it to burrow. That works for me. So I give mine quite a bit of substrate. So I would give an adult, I'm thinking... For my Afonapelma calcotis, once she hits adulthood, she'll have something around a, you know, an extra large critter keeper would probably work very well. A five-gallon acrylic would probably work well as long as it allowed for a few inches of substrate. And then again, the cork bark hide or whatever you want to use for a hide, the water dish, and just let her go. At that point, I don't find it necessary to keep them moist, although I have found that mine will gravitate toward moist areas. Again, the way to test that out is to give them some moist, uh, moist spot, moisten the bottom of the substrate, see what happens. Do they burrow to the moisture? Do they hang over the moist spot? That's something you can always check out and decide what your spider needs. Does it need it moist? Does it not? I find sometimes it's just easier and gives me a peace of mind to give them the choice. However, I've talked to many people that keep their Calcotis completely dry. I've talked to many people that keep their Simani dry. I've talked to many people that keep their Annex dry and they're having no problems with it. I just think the trick is to see what your spider needs or prefers. Obviously, one of the things that doesn't get said enough about tarantulas is many species are quite adaptable. So although they may experience moist periods in the wild, if well-fed and supplied with a water dish, they may do completely fine on dry substrate. So that's something you just kind of kind of figure out what works for you. Now, one species I have noticed seems to have more of a propensity to appreciate some moisture is the Afonapelma simani. I've kept two over the years. Both of them were also burrowers, and that's another thing that comes out is the species, a lot of the species we're talking about will keep burrows or hides or will scuttle under a hide once they hit adulthood when they are disturbed, but don't usually do as much burrowing. The Afonapelma simani, on the other hand, many people report that theirs will burrow right on through adulthood. Originally, when I picked up mine, first one back in the 90s, they were considered obligate burrowers. All the care sheets and guides for them said you have to give them quite a few inches of substrate. You had to keep them moist. And I've continued to do that with mine, and she seems to appreciate it. I have spoken to other keepers that keep theirs terrestrially. They don't give them enough room to burrow. They're just fine. I had somebody eat email me last month saying that they got an AC money female adult put it in an enclosure with about seven inches of substrate in a starter burrow and she has done zero burrowing so again let's remember that spiders can be individuals too it sounds silly but sometimes you'll get ones that burrow sometimes you get ones that don't 
I personally don't find it to be a waste if I supply a spider with enough room to burrow and enough substrate to burrow and it doesn't use it. I don't get hurt feelings over that. I'm not like, man, I wasted all this dirt. It doesn't bother me either way. I may eventually, if they don't show any propensity for burrowing, change up how I keep them for the next rehousing. So, for example, if I give something seven inches of substrate, it doesn't use it. The next time it comes time to rehouse, I might put them on three inches of substrate because at that point, you know, I know now know it's not going to burrow. I can make an adjustment. But I always find that... It's best to err on the side of caution. Give them some room. Give them some moisture. See what they do. You can always make adjustments afterwards. So for adults of these species, five gallons would work just fine. This could be a extra large exoterra. It could be an acrylic cage. It could be a five-gallon aquarium. It could be the plastic bins like the Sterilite, whatever. You feel like you want to use something around five gallons. Ten gallons would work. It would definitely give them a little extra room. And if you're using a ten-gallon aquarium, again, you want to make sure you put enough substrate in so that they can't climb and hurt themselves from a fall. But, again, as adults, they're very easy to care for. I found that mine are really good eaters overall, but this is these are spiders that you don't want to gorge. So, for example... Some species, you can drop as much stuff as you want. You know, you're dropping four or five crickets every week, and they do just fine. They'll keep eating. These guys, it can cause them to go into pre-molt more quickly, and then you're going to have a longer fasting period, which will drive people nuts. So just something to be aware of. Generally speaking, for an adult, a couple crickets once a week, even every two weeks, is perfectly fine. It's a good diet for it. They're not fast growers, so they don't need to be overfed. Now, a word about temperament. When I did my list of top beginner species, I did not include a Simani on it. It might be on the update. I'll have to double check. The reason why is Acemonies in particular tend to be a lot more skittish, quick moving, and if they burrow, that's something that'll turn off some of the beginners to it. So that's something that you need to be aware of. That these guys tend to be a little bit quicker, much more skittish than some of the other Fonapelma species. So can they make a good beginner? Absolutely. Obviously, my second spider ever was one did perfectly fine with. But people need to be aware that they may want to burrow, which can be kind of a pain for somebody just getting into the hobby and means you have a spider that you don't see very often. And if you keep them in something that they aren't allowed to burrow in, you're going to have potentially a more skittish spider. And then there's the fact that they do, some of them do seem to appreciate some moisture. So for the three of those together, it's just something that somebody just getting into the hobby needs to be aware of, that you might not have the cuddly, fluffy spider that you're hoping to get. The other species that I did not have on my beginner list for quite some time, but eventually relinquished and added it after talking to many people, having you know another one of my own, was the Fonapelma calcotis. Now, my reasoning behind it is because it seems like for every one person that reports that theirs is the most cuddly, loving, easy-to-handle spider they've ever had, there's somebody that talks about one that throws up threat postures, kicks a lot of hair, and is very skittish. My first Fonapelma calcotis, which unfortunately passed a few years back, it was a an older male, it was a full-grown female that didn't seem particularly healthy from day one, barely ate. But she was particularly skittish. She, If I tried to put my hand anywhere near her, I was getting hairs kicked at me. She would constantly kick. She would run around. I've gotten threat poses from her. That is not a spider I would try to handle. My Afana Pelma, Calcota is the newer one that I originally bought as the Schmitty. She's a little more laid back now that she's put on some size, but once upon a time, she too was quite a little monster, would run around, bolt, wouldn't, didn't want anything to do with me. So that's something to keep in mind. Again, they can obviously make wonderful beginner species. Even somebody that's beginning that gets one that's not particularly handleable, as long as they're aware of the fact to keep their hands away from it, to be careful of the hairs, it's still a very hardy spider and a good beginner. In that respect, we just need to be aware that... And, and I should probably do a whole podcast on this. 
temperaments of spiders vary from specimen to specimen. Just because I have a very docile Formictopus cancerides does not mean that other people are going to have the same thing. It all varies. There are always the weirdo spiders. They don't act like they're supposed to. You see people handling pokies that come out calm as can be. I've seen folks picking up baboons that are like, no problem whatsoever, which just walk calmly under their hand. It all differs depending on the individual specimen. We've all seen the quote-unquote beginner species, and people have ones that are just nasty. So it's something to be aware of. So anyway, not to you know to spend too much time on that topic, but it is important for people to understand that although some of them are very, very tame and docile, others are not. This goes for any spider, but a couple of the ones that I've had experience with, that the Afonopelma simani and the Afonopelma alcotis that tend to end up on beginner's list, that is something that beginners should be aware of. So to encapsulate, the Afonopelma species aren't particularly difficult to raise. A couple things to keep in mind is they do start off as super tiny. So if you're shopping around for slings, because they're such slow growers, you don't see a lot of the well-started like inch inch and a quarter slings offered so usually what you're going to end up with is a quarter inch sling in which case you want to keep it in something small enough like a vial so that you can keep track of it keep it give it some substrate to dig in keep those bottom levels moist you'll don't listen to the stuff online it says to keep them dry all the time i fell for that before that's not how it works they will burrow in the wild to find that moisture they will burrow in your home for the exact same reasons so you want to make sure you give them that moisture make sure they stay hydrated Again, they, if you pick up an inch one, and I didn't mention this earlier, but if you pick, do find a larger specimen, you don't see a lot of them out there, you would definitely start them in something a little bit larger. So let me be very clear about that. And it once, you know, this is one of these species that because they start off so tiny, you may end up having to do two rehousings when they're smaller. Something to think about. I know I mentioned earlier you might get away from doing a rehousing for a while, but you may actually end up doing an extra rehousing because a quarter-inch sling and an inch-and-a-quarter sling are much, much different in size. So some people, I know I find that I put mine into something around 16 ounces or so when they get to be an inch. At that point, they've probably outgrown the vials and they're ready to go in something a little bigger. And then when they hit the, you know, two-inch mark, then you can move them off into your critter keeper or, you know, something around two quarts to a gallon size for a juvenile again keeping some of that substrate moist giving them some depth the burrow and then once you get a specimen that's around three and a half four inches they're pretty much young adults you can put them in their final enclosure you can even do it earlier than that honestly but Again, they tolerate a lot of different temperatures. Many of them, although they come from places where there will be moisture, will tolerate dry enclosures as long as you give them a water dish and keep them well fed. I would experiment and see what your guys prefer. If you moisten out a corner and they tend to gravitate toward it, give them a moist corner or keep the bottom levels moist. If they don't, then you probably find give them a water dish. But don't just assume because you read online that your spider comes from a place where it's dry most of the year that they don't get rain, that they don't burrow to find the moisture. Because that's, I think, one of the biggest issues we've had with tarantula care is not taking into account what the burrows provide. We sometimes just look at an area and go, oh, there's a dry spell for eight months. Obviously, they do it super dry. They like it dry. But come to find out, they will burrow to find moisture underneath the ground. Same way they will burrow to avoid heat. So people a lot of times will read that these guys come from places where the heat can get 100 degrees and they think, oh, I need to really you know, warm things up here, put a heat lamp on, which would be terrible, or a heat map, which would be unneeded. 
keep in mind those burrows, they're all around 65, 60, I believe it's right around the high 60s as far as temperature. So if you dig a burrow deep enough, go under something, you're avoiding that hot sun. So just things to keep in mind to give people kind of a peace of mind about keeping them at room temperature. But again, Afonopelma are absolutely stunning spiders. There's so many gorgeous ones out there. There's a couple ones that are fairly new to the market that are just literally little jewels as far as tarantulas are concerned. So I do hope people try some of these out. For those of you that have them, feel free to chime in because I'm honestly looking to grow my Afonopelma collection. And a lot of times the way I find new spiders is people tell me about ones that they have or I see pictures of them. Just keep in mind, again, that when you buy the slings, it's going to take a little while before you have one of those big, beautiful adults. That's something everybody needs to be aware of because, again, I don't think it's a negative. I see the tarantula hobby as a long-term hobby. and Part of the fun of it is growing these things up. I have spiders that I've had for years that are now you know, looking like big, beautiful adults. There's a pride thing there. And I think the longer it takes a spider to grow, sometimes the more attached you become to it and the more proud you are when it starts sporting its adult colors and when you see it bloom into a, well, hopefully a, a mature female, but sometimes a mature male, there's still some pride there. So just keep that in mind when shopping for these guys. You're probably not going to find larger specimens for the most part. You're going to be finding slings and it's going to be a long-term commitment, but one that I personally think is is very worth it. So that'll do it for this one. Again, as you can see, the, the care of them isn't particularly difficult. They can make great beginner species. I do feel that they sometimes suffer from that beginner's stigma where people are like, I don't want these because they're boring. They're not. They're Overall, if you've got patience, they're well worth it. So that'll about do it for this one. Um, as always, you can check out my channel, Tom's Big Spiders. I got to go finish recording a video in a moment. I got to do my intro for it. So that's going to be fun. I'll, very busy Saturday morning. Um, but I have a lot of care videos and rehousing videos and things of that nature for people that haven't found that because now I'm finding there, there are a lot of people that are finding the podcast that no idea have no idea I have the YouTube channel or a website, Tom's Big Spiders, which, uh, again, it seems to be my new catchphrase. i got to do some work on, but it's my busy season at school, and I haven't really had as much time as I'd like to to keep up with all the stuff. And so rather than get overwhelmed, I have to let certain things go. So for the time being, it's a website, but I will get back to it. So as always, thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you all next time.